Brother Pastor, I appreciate the opportunity to stand before you and Grace Baptist Church and open up God's Word and preach from it. I, I hope that uh, whenever our pianist plays during the offertory, that that gives us a great opportunity to silently and, per, and, and personally worship before the Lord. And I particularly love the song that you played during the offertory. All that I've needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord, unto me. Our church dearly appreciates and loves you for your ministry towards us in music. Let's go to Psalm chapter 90. Psalm chapter 90, this psalm is outside the realm of inspiration. It is titled, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. And I suppose that men who are far more knowledgeable than I am, men of ancient times, they have attributed this psalm to Moses and so... I'm going to ascribe it to Moses during the time of reading it and expounding upon it. I rarely watch the news anymore. My wife and I said that we would watch the news yesterday afternoon, the local news. I don't watch national news anymore, certainly. The local news and just see what was going on in the neighborhood. And I kid you not, within 45 minutes later, we forsook watching the news. It grieves and saddens me. To see the direction that our nation is going. And of the politicians that we elect and put into office and seats of authority. One of the things that I have said often over the past few years is my wife and I collectively put 44 years serving our nation in the military and defending our nation against enemies, foreign and domestic, only to realize that what will literally topple our nation is those domestic enemies. I believe that you and I and our nation and our culture, it is inevitable that we will succumb to socialism, if not worse, according to the direction that our government is taking. We are literally watching the demise and the fall of our nation and of our culture. And I honestly believe that we can place the greatest blame for this on the churches And even our Lord said, 
that judgment begins first in the house of God. And one of the things that I pray about is that when persecution comes, that God will give me the grace to stand true to the faith of my salvation and of my Savior. I believe that I have possibly a great opinion of Washington and Congress and a Senate. I was reading my Bible this morning and I found a verse that literally describes them. In Revelation chapter 18 and verse number 2, the Bible says, Babylon the great is fallen is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. And I believe that we can lay the greatest blame for this on the churches of our nation. Because church members, and possibly even true Christians today, has lost their first love. And the distractions of the world and the cares and the love for the world has caused us to forsake our faith. And if we do show any faith at all, I am afraid that it is such of a nominal value that it is practically worthless. Back whenever I was growing up, I heard many times from the pulpit how that people attended the Sunday morning worship service because they loved the church. And people attended the Sunday evening service because they loved their pastor. And people attended Wednesday night prayer meeting, that's what we called it back then, particularly because they loved the Lord. And somewhere along the way, long before COVID came along and restricted so much of our activities, we forsook the Sunday night service and we forsook the Wednesday night service And from the looks of all of the empty spaces in our benches to this morning, it looks like that most of us have forsaken the Sunday morning service as well. The modern church is dead with apathy and indifference and unconcern. Back in 2018 or so, whenever I finished my tenure as the interim pastor of a church, in Carson City, and that church called another pastor, and so I figured that it best not only for myself, but also the church, and then particularly the pastor, that I went another way. And so that's what I did. And I visited every church that I could possibly find in the Carson City and Reno area. And I was amazed at the coldness and the deadness and the doctrineless and the gospelless condition of the churches in those areas. 
And we've forsaken our salvation. We've forsaken our Lord. And we've forsaken the church. And we've kicked Jesus Christ out to the curb. And put a sign around His neck saying, Not wanted. And we have a form of godliness and yet denying the power thereof. Social gospels and political correctness rules in our churches. Churches march in lockstep with secularism and with political correctness. Religious perversions replaced have replaced the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our current situation should cause us to ponder, first of all, our finiteness and our frailties and our weaknesses and our rebellious nature against the thrice holy God. And contrasting that with God's eternality, God's omnipotence, and God's omniscience of who and what you and I are. And so I bring our attention to Psalm chapter 90, wherein in that chapter, in verse number 12, Moses says, So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. But before he gets that, look in verse number 3. This is what Moses says unto God. He says, Thou, meaning Jehovah God, Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, you children of men. That word return in that verse is a present tense imperative. It is a command that demands obedience. Return. So we may ask to where or to what are you and I to return? Look at the verse. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return, you children of men. So to where or to what are we to return? And the answer is found in Genesis chapter 3 and in verse number 19 where God said, told Adam that you will return to that from where you came. In the sweat of thy face, God says, Thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it thou wast taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. By the way, I looked up, the Hebrew words for the words return there in Genesis chapter 3, as well as in Psalm chapter 3 and verse, uh, Psalm 90 and verse number 3, and all of them translate from the same Hebrew. Let's read some verses in Psalm chapter 90, beginning with verse number 1. Lord, that word Lord translates from the Hebrew Adonai. We would say, Master. Lord is the owner and possessor of all people and of all things, and He uses it and dispenses with it and manipulates it as He pleases. And that's how Moses addressed Jehovah God in verse number 1. 
Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, Thou hast formed the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. That expression, from everlasting to everlasting, means from eternity past, without beginning, until eternity future, without end. Thou turnest men to destruction, and saith, Return, you children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are as but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with the flood. They are as a sleep in the morning. They are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourishes and grow up, grows up, and in the evening it is cut down and withers. For we are consumed. This morning in, in Brother Rogers' Bible study class, we pondered of being terrified before Jehovah God. And Moses was one who says, We are consumed or wasted by thine anger. I honestly believe that God is showing, a, giving us a foretaste of His anger upon the American states. And I have, as I have said repeatedly in the past, we ain't seen nothing yet. For we are consumed in thine anger, and by thy wrath we are troubled. That word troubled means terrified by the slightest provocation. By the way, if you study the Hebrew as well as the Greek on anger and wrath, Anger is a deep-seated emotion. It is usually private. It is usually something that, that we, we seethe on and we nurse that anger and that animosity towards someone. And that thing grows and grows to such a point until sometime whenever that which we are angry at provokes us in some manner and that thing snaps and explodes into an outward manifestation of destruction and hurt. And that's what wrath is. And first of all, God is angry with the wicked every day. And one day, God's going to reveal His wrath in unspeakable ways. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy counsel, uh, in the light of thy countenance. And iniquity is a sin that has particularly grievous perversities. And God looks upon those things. That's what that word countenance means. God sees us when we do things, I remember back when I was a little kid that more than a couple of times I am in the process of doing something and my mother diverts her eyes towards me and she says, I see you. God sees me. That's terrifying. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath, we spend our years as a tale. That word tale describes a story of grief and regret. I look back upon my life 
so many things in my life that I grieve over. I'm disappointed. I think to myself, I don't believe that I did those things. And those things are beyond me. They're irretrievable and irredeemable. I can't fix them anymore because they're gone. It is a, my life and your life many times is a story of grief and regret that is told. The days of our years are three score and ten. By the way, I added that up, got a calculator out because I'm not smart enough to do it on pen and paper. That three score in ten years is 225,550 days or 70 years. And if by reason of strength, that means physical endurance, they be fourscore years, that's 80 years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Now, let me teach you a lesson that the Lord taught me yesterday in my study with concerning this verse. Look at it again. And if by reason of strength, that just simply means physical endurance. If we simply do not die, then God may permit us to live 80 years. Then continue. They be fourscore years. Now look at the next expression. Yet in their strength. Here the word strength while it is repeated in the English, in the Hebrew, those two words, strength and strength, are two different words. Literally, yet it is strength. That word strength literally means pride. It is a mocking pride. If a person lives past 70 years old, they will continually grow more old and more feeble and more crippled. And the only pride he has in that is labor and sorrow. The older we get, the more difficult life becomes. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long, and let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us. That word afflicted means weakened and humiliated us especially in body and frame, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto thy children. And let the beauty of the Lord... I love this verse. I wish I could fully comprehend it. But in my feeble human mind, I'm not able to do so. But thank God... That he inspired Moses to record it for our benefit and for our enjoyment. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands 
upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. Moses did not reveal what prompted him to write this psalm. We just simply do not know. Did he write this psalm during the Egyptian bondage? Because Moses knew what was going on down there. Maybe he wrote this song during his exile in Midian. Because I'll guarantee you, Moses had a significant emotional event when he experienced Jehovah God speaking to him from the burning bush. And God says, go down to Egypt and you tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Or maybe he wrote it during one of the rebellions or the aftermaths of one of the rebellions in the wanderings. We don't know. It doesn't matter, obviously, because if it did, then God would have told us. Moses voiced his concerns under the strain of divine discipline. Have you ever been under the strains of divine discipline? I learned a great lesson years ago when I was stationed in Thailand. And I asked the Lord in my ignorance, Lord, teach me some patience. Don't pray that prayer. God's going to teach you some patience anyway, but I'll guarantee you, you pray that prayer, He'll intensify it. You'll learn a lesson. And I believe that Moses was experiencing some divine discipline as well, and he saw God's divine discipline upon the children of Israel as well. Look in verse number 3. You turn man to destruction. Verse number 5, Moses says, You carry them away as with the flood. Just out of curiosity, I went into the internet last night and I watched some videos on tsunamis striking beaches. And there are people on those beaches who are absolutely oblivious to the terror that they are about to experience. Verse number 7 says, We are consumed by your anger and by your wrath. Are we troubled? Verse number 9, Moses says, All of our days are passed away in your wrath. And I believe that in all of this, God made Moses aware of the seriousness of spiritual carelessness. I believe that God is going to cause the church a great awareness of the carelessness of our spirituality. We have the Word of God in our homes, and I wonder how many of us read it last week or paid it any diligence. Study to show thyself approved unto God. One of these days, I'm going to stand before God Almighty and give an account unto Him. That's terrifying. That's scary. God made Moses aware of the seriousness of spiritual carelessness. Look in verse number 8. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our sins, secret sins, in the light of thy counsel. Countenance. Meaning God's omnipotent omnipresent, all-seeing eyes. Uh, Watching you, uh, watching you, there's an all-seeing eye. 
are watching you. Moses, with this knowledge, pleads to God for mercy and gentleness and corrective graces. And we find those in verses number 12 through 17, which if the Lord gives us the opportunity, we will look at those. We regularly count down our days. Just a few days ago, we actually counted down seconds. I don't... I'm not mindful of... New Year's Eve midnight, whenever 20 goes into 21, I just don't do that anymore. I'm old and I'm tired and it's stupid to do so. For me, you do what you want. But it is interesting that we count down seconds in certain occasions. But often we count down the number of days. Little children especially... Count down the days until their birthday anniversary comes along. Because they're expecting something. We count down days to certain holidays. We count down days to weddings and wedding anniversaries. We count down days to vacations. We count down days until we can retire. We count down days until certain elections, as we're well aware of. We count down days for disease prognosis. I have not been there yet, but I fully expect, possibly, that one day I'll stand before a doctor and the doctor says, Phil, I'm, I'm sad to say this, but you have a certain disease and it's not good. Well, doctor, how many more days or months do you, can you give me? I mean, we count down days, do we not? I remember back whenever I was at a particular base that uh, I was sitting in my office and, and my wife calls me on the telephone and she says, Phil, what you doing? And I said, I had the calculator out and I am determining how many haircuts that I will have to get before I retire. And as I recall, I think she rebuked me for not using my time more wisely. Counting down days usually results in little or no consequences at all. And yet sometimes they do. In Genesis chapter 3, this is what the Lord says of the pre-flood populace. He says, My spirit shall not always strive or plead with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his day shall be in 120 years. And those antediluvians, they said, Hmm, we have all the time in the world. And then we go over to Matthew chapter 24, and, and Jesus Christ says, In the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not. There's an expression that we used to say, ignorance is bliss. No, it's not. Ignorance is dangerous. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. They did not number their days. Then we can also go over into Jonah where we can see a contrast of this. Jonah marched into Nineveh 
And I'll guarantee you he still had the stench of the whale's gastric juices upon his body and upon his clothing. He must have been a sight to see. And Jonah opens his mouth and he cries out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And Nineveh responded in Jonah chapter 3. The king says, Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away his fierce anger and that we perish not? They seriously numbered their day. When I was 16 years old, I was in a little clique of us four teenagers. We were thick as thieves back then, and during between classes and lunch and other temp periods of time, we spent a lot of time together. We were shoulder to shoulder. And one of those 16-year-old boys, one Friday or Saturday night after he had pulled his shift at Kroger's, at Kroger, Kroger's grocery store, was on his... I was on a too big a hurry to meet his girlfriend. Stepped off a curb at a at a intersection, and a car struck him and killed him. His death caused me a certain amount of pause for a little while, because I was sixteen years old and invincible and full of spit and vinegar. These things came and gone from me. The youth cannot fully appreciate and comprehend life's brevity. Mamas and daddies, you teach your children the seriousness of life's brevity and temporariness. The young do not number their days. Back in 1971, John Lennon recorded a song titled Imagine, which possibly was some of his most profane lyrics, and they read like this, Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us on the sky. Imagine all the people living for today. And one night in 1980, as he was going home from a recording session, John Chapman stood out, from the shadows and murdered him with a handgun. I doubt that John Lennon seriously numbered his days. Sometime back, Robin Williams, the noted and glorified comedian, passed away, lost his life. He spent his entire life spewing baldy, raunchy humor. And there are even... Even television shows that glorify his lifestyle. Robin Williams has spoken on camera of his adulteries and of his addictions and of his life-threatening disease that he had. He did number his days and he despised them and in the end he acted in the authority and person of God Almighty and took his own life. Back in 2013, my father, Ernest Parks, passed away. 
My Father, and I say this with open-facedness, my Father was the most godliest man that I've ever known. My Father never attended a seminary class, not one hour of seminary. And I would put my Father on a pedestal above any seminary professors that I ever sat under. My father knew certain words in their Greek. And he knew how to use them and expound upon them in, in sermons that he preached. And he died at 91 years old. And my father numbered his days. And my father taught me to number my days. God Almighty, I thank you for giving me to my father. Yesterday I took out a calculator again. As of today, if my math is correct, I have lived 24,973 days. Not counting leap years. That extra day in February. I have more days behind me than I have in front of me. In fact, in front of me I have just a handful of days. If I live to, uh, to my 70th birthday anniversary, I have only 578 more days to live. That's barely over a year. That's scary. We need to understand just how serious the life is living what we do with our days. And as I have already said it, how we number the days of our temporary life has eternal consequences. There are four reasons. Let's look at number one. Our mortal days are temporary and brief. In God's perspective, He dispenses time in infinite Measurements. Look in verse number 2. From everlasting, meaning eternity past without beginning, to everlasting, meaning eternity future without end, thou art God. Every time I try to think about that, I get an aneurysm that starts to grow in my brain. Because it's incomprehensible. And as we discussed even this morning in our Bible study class, that often God wrote His Word giving us a human perspective so at least we could have some appreciation of who and what God is. Some appreciation. Time does not dictate to God. We know that in verse number 4. A thousand years in thy sight are as but yesterday when it is past. Anything that God measures, for instance, days and times, we must consider vitally important. 
Because those things affect you and me personally, not only temporarily in this life, but more soberingly, they have eternal consequences. In man's perspective, we measure only limited increments of time. Man divides his day into, look in verse number 4, a watch in the night. Usually those watches was anywhere from three to four hours, give or take. They're very brief. Or in verse number 5, the morning. Or in verse number 6, the evening. I thought about this question yesterday. I'm not a philosophical person, but let's just play this little game. If you knew that you were going to die tomorrow, how would you spend the rest of today? Because you and I aren't promised that God's going to even let us last until bedtime tonight. Man experiences only a very limited lifespan. Look in verse number 10. The days of our years are threescore and ten, and if by reason of strength they be eighty years or fourscore. To man, measuring time holds incredible consequences. Just ask the businessmen and women in this room. Number two, our pastime is forever irretrievable. There are many times I said, man, I wish I could go back and live that all over again. I'd do something different. Yeah, and I probably would, and that's something that I'd do different would be just as stupid as what I did in the first place. Moses illustrated the instability of our days in verse number 5. Here's what Moses says of our yesterdays. You, meaning God, carry them away as with the flood. Moses again illustrated the transient swiftness of our days in verse number 5. They, our yesterdays, are as sleep. It's amazing to me that whenever I go to bed at night, and whenever I finally close my eyes in sleep, that just like that, hours have passed. Where did they go? Our yesterdays are asleep while sleeping. Life seems to pass instantly. Our past often seems like a, an empty, wispy dream. I use the expression a lot of times about something that I did or experienced years and years ago. I'd say, well, in a previous lifetime. No, I'm not talking about it pre-incarnation. Those times are just so far behind us and we were different people back then. We are unaware of our yesterday's importance as God views them. By the way, God's going to hold us accountable for those things we did in the past. Grass illustrates our extreme brevity as well. Look in verse number 6. At first grass grows quick and strong. In the morning it flourishes. It blossoms and grows up and by meaning that it reaches its peak. But grass is soon destroyed even when it's strong. Here in our hot Texas summers we can literally see this. I can get up in the morning and my grass is wet with dew. And that grass is going, wow, this is great. Long come about 11 o'clock, it's starting to look peaked. 5 o'clock, it's suffering. 
That's your life and my life. In the evening it is cut down and it withers. Present time always eventually... No, let me rephrase that. Present time immediately becomes the past. We'll never be able to retrieve those seconds. What did you think about during those few seconds? Those times have passed. Verse number 10, Moses says, The days of our years is soon cut off, and we fly away. Number 3, focus on the future. We see that in verses 12 through 13. The person of our future is Jehovah God. Verse number 13 says, O Lord, by the way, This word Lord is different from that one recorded in verse number 1. Here, there, that word Lord was Adonai. Here, that word Lord speaks of Jehovah God. His inexpressible, incommunicable name. That word Lord means the eternal, self-existing one. We need to desire the Lord's intimate presence as Moses did. Moses says, return, O Lord. Can we paraphrase verse number 13? Moses can say to the Lord, how much time must pass before you come back and restore our intimate fellowship with you? By the way, God never went anywhere. It's you and I that break fellowship. God's always there. But many times the Bible is written in a, from the human's perspective so that we can at least grasp some understanding of it. Because who hath known the mind of the Lord? Our brevity demands we desire the Lord's presence. Moses says, O Lord. That word O there is rather interesting. It is an utterance of deep emotion. It expresses a a sincere plea into God. Literally, Moses is saying, I plead with you. Or please now. Our pleading emphasizes our repentance and and our conversion unto God. We need to desire a true perspective of temporary time. As Moses wrote in verse number 12, teach us to number or to count our days. We need to count them appreciatively. We need to count them purposefully and contemplatively. We need to convert our inward person to godly practice, as he says, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Wisdom is the mental good sense and discipline to make right and prudent decisions. Now let's look at number four. We need to number our days while pleading for God's favor and His glory through us. Verse number one, Moses wrote, Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. We need to live in the Lord. Verse number 14 says that we need to pursue today the Lord's kindnesses. 
Verse number 14, Moses writes, O satisfy, can these be all words as well? O satisfy us early. That word early literally means in the morning. O satisfy us in the morning and make it last all day long with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Because God renews His mercies and His grace on a daily basis. Yesterday's mercy and grace is not sufficient for today. I need, I need another dose today. Verse number 15 says that we need to appreciate today the Lord's corrective discipline. Make us glad, Moses says, according to the days wherein you have afflicted us. That word afflicted means disciplinarily humiliated us. Where you have afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. Whenever I look at my human life, I praise God that my mama took the switch to me once in a while. No, often. And I thank God that God takes the switch to me once in a while. Because I'm His child. And if God did not discipline me, then I would be a bastard in this world in the spiritual sense. Thank God for His discipline. Look in verse number 16. We need to desire today to witness the Lord's glory. One of the prayers that I pray every now and then is, in, in preparation for coming to Sunday morning worship service, I thank God. Will you, will you show us something out of the ordinary? Will you show us something that we can say, wow, this is, this is the presence of God in our services today. We need to desire today to witness the Lord's glory. Look in verse number 16. Let your work appear unto your servants. I go out and walk around the neighborhood once in a while. And yesterday as I was walking around the neighborhood, I heard this strange noise immediately above me. And I looked up and I saw a squirrel just a few arms length away. And he was looking at me and he was fussing at me. For invading his personal territory. God created that squirrel. God created me and God created me the ability to appreciate his creation. And what's more important than that. God created in me the ability to have faith in him. As my personal savior and the redeemer of me from my sins. Let your work appear unto your servants and your glory unto their children. Can we go on to verse number 17, the first part of it? Let's pray today for a right relationship with the Lord. Let the beauty of the Lord our God. That word beauty means all the Lord's pleasant attributes. 
Now, God just doesn't come down and just shows us His attributes. You know where you, you know where you learn the lessons of God's attributes and what they are? Read and study God's Word. Brother Roger asked us a question this morning in Bible study. Does God, does God talk to you like He talks unto Moses? Well, possibly not in the very same exact way, but every time you and I read God's Word, God's talking to us. We need to listen. We need to pay attention. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And I close with this, Brother Roger. Let's plead today for God to reflect His beauty through us. Why did the Lord Jesus Christ save you from your sins? It wasn't to escape hell. That's, that's just one of the benefits of it. Why did God save you and I from our sins? So that we could reflect Jesus Christ to the rest of the world. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. Look in the last part of verse number 17. Establish. That word establish means to make us successful unto prosperity. That doesn't mean wallet or purse prosperity. That means spiritual prosperity. Establish thou the work of our hands upon us. First of all, Moses says, Lord, let your beauty be upon us. So why does Moses want God's beauty to be upon us? So that we can show the world the beauty of our Lord. Let's pray.